0: Your pastor doesn't know everything under the sun. You know, I think that's, And so uh, I, one of the books I've used heavily during this series uh, was by Walter Harrelson, uh, The Ten Commandments and Human Rights. Uh, it was a book that I've used uh, very heavily. He was a professor at my seminary. It's kind of heady. I'm not recommending that to you. All I'm saying is, is that I've had help uh, through this series. Uh, and also uh, for this sermon as well, Ellen Davis. She had a, a sermon on a holy coveting. Uh, she's a professor at Duke, and their seminary there uh, is a, excellent. So I'm I, borrowing some of that from her. I say that, too, you should know who some of my sources are that help. But also to say, I, I think sometimes as we're talking about coveting, we look at people and say, oh, man, they know all this. Or there's a... No, you know, uh, we're all learning it from somewhere. We all need help and different things, and I'm no different. Uh, so I hope you never look at, and not that you are looking at me like this, but I've looked at speakers or or teachers, and I've said, oh, there's so I can never be like that, you know, I'm reading, I'm learning, and all of a sudden I get up here and I just share what I'm learning and what God's laying on my heart and teaching me, um, so I really, I hope you realize it doesn't have much to do about me or anything I'm thinking, all right, so I think, I just want to share that so you, know, I won't always share all the things I'm reading with you, uh, but you know, I'm learning just as much as you are when you read and study as well, and it's, it's good for our edification, so, uh, I hope uh, that edifies you as well. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, commandment number 10. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be 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 to God. His name was Mick Jagger, <laughs> not the rock star. He was in my first grade class. Mick, um, if you could see, I, I kind of turned, felt like he was my arch enemy, right? Uh, he didn't know who I was, really didn't pay any attention to me, but he was the cool kid. I mean, in first grade, you already knew it. Uh, you already knew it. He, he had blonde hair. Uh, he had the really cool haircut with a shaved head and just bangs in the front. I mean, it would look incredibly stupid today, but it was the cool haircut of the day, right? In first grade, I thought, man, that kid's cool. I mean, he was already handsome. I don't know how to first grader. I just remember thinking in first grade, man, that is one handsome kid, you know, and uh, he, he was good at everything. He was faster. He was always faster. We'd race on the playground. He was always a little bit faster than me. He always was a little bit better at sports than me. Uh, he handled himself like a, you know a, a first grader. Sure, I just remember thinking of first grade. I felt so dorky when I was around him because he just was a smooth operator already. I don't know. He had this confidence, and maybe it came from. I kind of realized that when I came home and I was talking about this kid. Um, and uh, I don't know how it came up. I just remember being at home at dinner, and I said the name Mick Jagger, and uh, and I was talking about you know, oh, this kid in my class, Mick Jagger, and my dad said, oh, he's named after a rock star, and I don't think my dad wanted me necessarily to know who Mick Jagger really was in first grade, <laughs> and so he didn't elaborate on that, but that didn't help matters. And I said, oh, now he's got the coolest name too. <laughs> right. Uh, it, it, was, it was serious. I looked at him and, and I just thought, boy, he is so much better than me. I don't know where he is. Uh, I've, I've never heard from him since fourth grade. Uh, he probably would think it was laughable that here I am at 31 and I'm still imprinted on how much better he was in elementary school than I was, right? But that's what we're talking about today. Um, looking at someone and wishing you had what they had. Whether you call it jealousy or envy or really just shame, when you look at what somebody else has and it makes you feel lesser than. That's what the commandment 10 is really talking about. And I shared that story not to say, oh, this is so cute. Look, I say that to say, we've all been there. I can look at this is one commandment that I guarantee you, I can go person to person that we've all felt this pain. We've all felt that urge, that, ah, that, uh, look at what they have, look at who they are, and look at me. We've all felt that. And in fact, what I want us to see today is that not, this is not just some cute thing that happened on the playground when I was in first grade, is that this is a very serious thing that most of us will battle time and time again throughout our lives. Now, we may look at Commandment 10 and say, boy, you know, the Ten Commandments, we've really been hitting on some really nitty-gritty stuff. And in fact, I mean, you know, if you look back at the last few commandments, don't kill, don't commit adultery, you know, don't steal, don't lie, we've been talking about real hard actions, right? And you get at Commandment 10, and I wouldn't blame you if you said, oh, well, you know, don't be jealous of other people, right? You know, big deal, kind of going out on a whimper. No, I, I want to tell us today, Commandment 10 is going out on a bang. There is kind of a reason that it is at the end and the the period point of the commandments, as we will see, that it's not just some cute thing we all struggle with. It is perhaps the gateway of all sin, as we will see. As we look at what it meant for Israel, this is one. uh, There hasn't been too many of these, uh, but it, it means exactly the same thing as it meant today. Uh, or I did 3,000 years ago, as we see the examples of what someone may covet in the commandment, an ox or a donkey, you can just in- insert their uh, 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 their car or their lawnmower or their house or anything they belong or even relationships they have, um, their talents, their giftings. It's the same thing, that we would look on another and not... We're not talking about, even for Israel, it's not about, oh, I want to better my life. I want to work hard to have a, a good life. We're not talking about that. We're talking about an eight, looking at someone, seeing the blessings and the giftedness that they have, and it making you feel less. And making you feel bad about what you have. Coveting is the idea of I wish I had that or I wish that they didn't have that. Wishing that at least if I can't have it they shouldn't have it either. Covening in a sense is basically the inability to be happy when someone else is blessed and to mourn with them when they are mourning. Do you get that? It's not about, oh, you can't better your life, you can't work hard, you can't want a nice, stable thing. It's about looking at someone else and allowing their giftedness and blessings to make you feel bad. And I think the only difference from us to Israel to today as we think about what it meant for Israel is that we should realize you don't need Facebook to covet, right? I know that's a new avenue to see everybody's vacations. Somebody is always in Hawaii. Somebody's always having a birthday. Someone's always having a great time on Facebook, right? But even for Israel, they didn't need any of that to covet. And in fact what I would say is that Israel was in a hard place because much of their life was out of their control, right? Um, there wasn't. They couldn't go to university and get a degree and change their job. Uh, they basically were a subsistence farmer, or perhaps if their parent was a tanner or sold good. You know maybe they could go into that. but you couldn't really change your spot in life too much in a society like Israel. But um, for the most part, you can even change, uh, even change your, your, choose your spouse, right? Your spouse was an arranged marriage and different things. And so when your life is kind of just handed to you, and that's the cards you're dealt, not in a modern society where if you want to go, you know, be a computer analyst, you can go to school and change your You couldn't do that in Israel. And so this commandment really says that, hey, don't start looking over what somebody else has. In, a, in, a, in an economy, and a society that doesn't change don't start looking over there and being stuck in a place of coveting, being stuck in a place of I'll never have that, I wish I had that. It's a torturous place to be. But for the Israelites, they also wouldn't have looked at commandment number 10 and thought, eh, that's a small one. That's no big deal. They would have realized that commandment number 10 was the foundational sin. They would have realized it because they, they remember what happened in Genesis chapter 3. And this is the difference between our English translation and what it said in the Hebrew. We all know the story. We've talked about going back to the beginning a lot in these commandments. Because we re- remember Adam and Eve are in the garden. Life is good. They have everything they need, right? I mean, they're walking around naked having fruit. No one's around. And they got the whole place themselves. And they have everything they need. Perfect harmony in the garden. The Garden of Eden in the Hebrew literally means delight. They were in perfect delight. And then the serpent came along. And he started twisting words. He started twisting the reality of things for the woman. And he made her look upon the tree of knowledge in a different light. And as he began to speak to her, she began to look at it and desire it and and the the Hebrew there is not to say it's desirable for to gaining wisdom. The Hebrew is the same word found in commandment number 10. That she coveted it for the gaining of knowledge. What happened in the fall, what happened in Genesis chapter 3 is that a person in perfect harmony, created for relationship with God and for one another, had everything that she needed, and Adam and Eve needed, looked on something and said, I'm not enough, I need more. That that coveting desire for more, to gain more, not being satisfied is what first alienated us from God. It was the gateway that led us into alienation and sin. The desire to say, I'm not enough, God hasn't given me enough, and I need to reach out and get more to complete myself, to make myself better. And so for the Israelites, they would have understood that Genesis chapter 3, what happened in the garden was the act of coveting. It was the act of trying to get more. That I'm not enough. That I want to be like God. A comparison between ourselves and God. So I hope we see that commandment number 10 isn't just a nice thing not to be jealous. Oh, who's that? Is that me? Did anybody else hear that? Or am I hearing stuff? Okay, you heard it too? Good. Okay. <laughs> that makes me feel better. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Preacher stops. Did you guys hear that? Um. <laughs> no, we didn't hear it. Oh, no. Uh boy. Yeah. Where was it? Okay. So uh, the really, Israelites would have really understood the depth of this commandment. And we were talking about a very serious commandment that got us in this mess in the first place. All right. So what does it protect us from? Um, this is an easy one. A lot of times it is easy. Sin on a whole, if you want to understand uh, sin, you just got to think of sin as anything that causes harm, right? Uh, a sin will always cause damage, either to yourself, to relationship with another person, damage to another person, or damage in your relationship with God. That's what sin is. It's not complicated. There are no arbitrary sins. There are no. Uh, that's a sin just because I say it's a sin right? Every sin causes damage and destruction, right? But there's a few sins that will offer a momentary pleasure for a whole heap of hurt, right? There's some sins. But coveting is one of those sins that offers nothing. It only destroys. Coveting only creates a feeling of despair, of worthlessness, of pain, of jealousy, of resentment, and it causes us to feel bad about who we are and what we have. Does anybody want to engage in a sin that just simply makes you feel bad? No. No. Commandment number 10 protects us from the damage of feeling and believing that we are not enough. We talked about two weeks ago that uh, what that commandment protects us from uh, the truth, and we talked about the lies of the evil one that begins to get us to believe. And just like the serpent got Eve to believe that she wasn't enough and that she needed something more, that is the lie that leads us into covetousness, right? That we would look on somebody else and say, I'm not enough. That who God created me to be, what God gifted me, what God has given me is not enough and I want what they have. And it begins to destroy the relationship with that other person and destroy our own uh, spirituality and how we feel. It's a poverty of the heart when we look on others and then look down upon ourselves. Because the truth of the matter is, that God created you. God created you just as you are. God gave you gifts, and that, like Adam and Eve, you are enough. You say, "Well, Pastor, doesn't want God to want to do something in my life?" Yes, God wants to free you from the power of sin, like covenanting. He wants to transform your life, but not change who you are. You are enough. You just have been in bondage from sin, and we need to get free from that. And through Jesus Christ, we can get free from that. But that doesn't say that you're lesser than anybody else. Actually, Scripture levels the playing field, doesn't it? It says, For all have sinned and fallen short. We've all sinned in this room. We've all fallen short. We're all equal, and we're all equally loved by God our Father. You are enough. And yet, when we covet, we're basically saying, I'm not enough, and that person has more and is better than me. That is where the sin lies. That is what this commandment protects us from, from ever believing that we're not enough, that we're lesser than, or that we need anything more to complete our lives. It protects us from thinking that God is not faithful, that God isn't providing what we need, and that we have to take it into our own hands. I hope we, we are tempted as Christians to sometimes think that maybe we're better than other people because we have been freed from our sin. And that's another temptation that we can't give in to. Uh, it has nothing to do with us, Scripture says. And Paul says, I can't boast of what God has done in me, right? It's God's work, not my own work. I'm just thankful for it. But sometimes, you know, you may be here or you may have a family member that doesn't want to come to church because they say, oh, look at those holy rollers. Yeah, they have a good life, but I could never be like that. They're almost coveting in the sense of uh, looking at someone and say, yeah, that's great, but I could never have that because I'm not as good as them. They're looking down on themselves for what you may have. And I, just, I just encourage you to say, friend, That's not true. I was once where you're at, and I am no better than you. I have just been freed from the power of sin through Jesus Christ, and that we are equal at the foot of the cross. That is what the commandment 10 uh, protects us from, from looking down on ourselves. I wish I could go back to my first grade self and say, Andrew, don't waste your time. (laughs) I mean, it's funny now, isn't it? But I tell you, whatever temptation towards covening or looking at someone you have now, that God is looking down, just like my first old self, said, friend, that is a waste of time. That is hurting you, and that is keeping you from what I have for you. Don't engage in it. It's that silly. But for my first grade self, it was serious. For those years, it shaped how I saw myself. And it's a powerful force in our world today. All right, uh, let's look at, uh, back to Jesus and look at uh, what this means for us today and what Christ would have to say for it. Um, as we've been looking at these commandments, uh, we, we've kind of had a theme running out because Jesus basically says, there's an encounter I'm about to read that says, you know, somebody says, hey Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Uh, the, the Pharisees ask him that, and he, he tells them. I just want to highlight, this should be, as we're talking about commandments and Ten Commandments, when the Lord of all creation, the Messiah himself, the Son of God, God in the flesh, the, the man you are going to stand before at the end of time and answer for your life, tells you what the greatest commandment is, we better perk up and listen, amen, right? We better say, ah, okay. It's like the teacher giving you the study guide before the test, right? Right? Um, We've got to keep first things first. Sometimes people come to church and they get all confused. They say, what is this all about? How, how, how many things, hoops died? Listen to the words of Jesus and obey. Uh, chapter 22 in Matthew, Jesus says this. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. They were trying to trick him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. A side note for Jesus to say it, all of this hangs all the law and the prophets hang on this. Basically what he's saying there is all of scripture. All of teachings hang on that. Um, there was three divisions of Scripture uh, for Israelites. There was the law, which is the first five books of the Bible. Uh, there's the prophets, which are all the prophetic books of the Bible. And then there's also the writings. And the writings were understood as the Psalms and the Proverbs. And so for him to say the law and the prophets hang on this basically says all of Scripture hang on these two commandments. All of it, all of the teachings of God hang on these commandments. You say, Pastor, we're talking about coveting. Why are you jumping to this? Because they are directly related. As I said, commandment number 10 is kind of the period point. The 10 commandments are stated negatively. And what Jesus is saying there is the positive side of these two commandments. That if you are coveting, you cannot love your neighbor as yourself you see that? Coveting relationship basically says, I wish they didn't have that. I don't want them to have that. That makes me feel awful. How can you love them, let alone love them as yourself, right? That's the the genius. That's the revelation of God in that commandment. That if we love someone as we love ourselves, then we will celebrate when they celebrate and we will be happy of all of their blessings that they have and we will never turn it into something Sinful that makes us feel bad or lesser than. To love our neighbor as ourselves, we cannot covet. Coveting is the negative form, it is the opposite of loving your neighbor as yourself. In a similar way, we cannot love God. The primary commandment, what we are here for, we cannot love God with everything that we have if we are coveting. Because basically, we are saying, God hasn't given me enough. God God didn't give me enough gifts. Uh, God did a better job on that person than me. He, He likes them more than me. We are caught up in this cycle of despair and just envy, and we're basically defaming what God has done in our lives. We're basically saying that, God, I'm not grateful for anything you've given me. I want more. I'm not enough. And it is as foolish as Adam and Eve saying, oh, I need more. If we are coveting, we cannot give God the thanks and the gratitude and the praise that he is due for what he has done in our lives. And so therefore, coveting breaks that proper relationship we have with God and does not allow us to love and to give thanks for him. It robs God of the gratitude that is due him. So I hope that we see in coveting is the negative form of the greatest commandments. That we cannot covet because we have something so much better. Do you see that? What I want to say uh, for us today is that instead of coveting what we are invited to through Jesus Christ, through all of Scripture, well, th- there's almost a, there's a coveting that's allowed. There's a desire that is encouraged. And that's a desire to serve and love God with everything you have. There is one desire that coveting stops, right? If we are coveting, we are desiring the things of this world. We are desiring things that have not been given to us. But if we have the proper desire, a passion after being God's child, pursuing God with everything that we have, that is the proper, the desire that will displace any coveting that we ever have. Right? What happened in the garden is Eve took her eyes off God. And she put it on something else that she wanted. What we are called to do, friends and family, we are called to always keep our eyes on God, to desire God more than anything else in this world. And when we do that, there will be no room for coveting because there will be nothing else that we desire to complete ourselves. The only thing, hear this, The only thing you need to be complete, to be whole, is a loving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That is the only thing that will complete you. I know this world tries to tell you, you need A, B, and C. You need this job, you need that house, you need this car, you need this much in the bank. None of that will complete you. None of that will satisfy you. Yeah, you may want to speak in the tongues of angels. You may want to be able to lead a Fortune 500 company. You may think that may... No, friends, that will not complete you. Don't covet, don't desire those things. Only desire with the fullness of your heart, with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, chase after him, Jesus says. Everything else, it'll fall into place. That's the desire we are invited to through Jesus Christ. Do you have that desire this morning? I know sometimes, uh, you know, coming to church gets to be a rhythm, uh, praying gets to be a rhythm, and we kind of forget that we're not just here just waiting. We don't just come to church to learn a little something. We come to church We pray, we study, because we are chasing after God. We are striving to love God. We are building the relationship with God day in and day out. That's what you were created for, nothing else, right? This is what you'll be doing for all of eternity. You will be growing in a deeper relationship with God forever. There's nothing else that could keep my attention for all of eternity other than a loving relationship with God. That's what you're created for. That's the only thing that will satisfy you. Are you chasing that day in and day out? Is that your heart's deepest desire? I like every relationship, we go through tough patches. every relationship, sometimes things get a little tepid, right, you know, the fire of desire dies down sometimes. It is sometimes work to keep it alive in our marriages and our friendships, and it is also work sometimes to keep it alive with God, but that is our calling. Because if we let the fire of desire die for God, it just becomes religion. It just becomes rules. It becomes burdensome. And it doesn't need to be like that. Available to each and every one of us right now is a relationship that will complete us. That will never have to look around ourselves and say, I don't have enough. When God is your deepest desire, you will know that you are enough, that you are loved, that you are whole, and that you are sheltered in his arms, as Brother Roger shared with us. So let me just share a few practical tips before I close really quick. Um, I just want to say, though also, you know, we shouldn't have shame and sin, um, we, we should have conviction to repent and turn our ways and make a difference and allow God to work in us, but there's no room for shame. And we, at different times, even in a sanctified relationship, we'll, sh- we'll be tempted to this. We'll be struggled with this. I, I tell you, you get a room full of pastors together and to start talking about their churches, uh, commandment number 10 is the thing that's being broken a lot of times, right? Um, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. If, if uh, you know you started talking about friends I had in college and, and, and what they may get to do or different things like that, I would have to go pray about my feelings a little bit of envy, right? I mean, I think uh, this is one that is always close to us. And we need to resist it at all we can. One of the, some of the ways we can resist it is simply to always be thankful, always be counting those blessings, always be counting those mercies, always being grateful to God for what you have. Identify when that temptation comes and just say, No. Repudiate the temptation with the truth. I'm enough. God has blessed me. I'm his child. I am who he created me to be. I have gifts that no one else has. And he has a purpose for my life. Another practical tip I'd say just keep kindling that relationship with God. Look to God when you feel tempted to covet. Say, God, I want to desire you above everything else. Keep that relationship hot and fresh. That's what you were made for. But also, I don't want you, when I say you're enough and uh, you know, trust, I'm not saying lay on your couch and say, oh, I'm good. I'm enough. Thanks, God. This is great. No. What it is is the knowledge that, hey, you're, you're gifted in a particular way. You have strengths. God has placed you in unique relationships and in a unique place that no one else is placed in. You know, no one else is husband to my wife or uh, or, uh, father to my child. I'm placed in a unique place that I can affect change and love and redemption and lead others to Christ. I have certain gifts and one may or may not be speaking in front of people. You know, it's, uh, I'm I'm teasing. I'm, I'm trying to be alone. But you have certain gifts too, right? That's what Paul says. Some of us are eyes, some of us are hands. Use those gifts. Cultivate those Try to become the best person that God created you to be, not out of envy, not out of shame, but just to say, thanks, God. Thanks for these gifts. Thanks for placing me here. I want to do your will. I love you so much. And don't have to be tempted to work in the kingdom out of shame or out of guilt or out of envy or wanting me to be the center of attention. Ah, right? Because we are all called to follow Christ to the cross. As we look to our Savior. He saved us and he leads us by serving all and giving his life. Um, and that'll keep us in check. It never is about us, right? Um, that protects us from that. You shall not covet your neighbor's house or your neighbor's wife, your male or female servant or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. It's quite simple. If you want to feel awful, if you want to feel worthless, small and depressed, keep coveting. Keep comparing yourself to others and seeing what you don't have that they have. And I can promise you, you'll live a miserable life. You probably won't do much with your life and you definitely won't live up to what God has for you. Coveting is one of those sins that will always keep you down. But thanks be to God, we can be freed from that sin. We can be freed from that. We have such a better calling through Jesus Christ that is incomparable to the guilt of coveting. We have a place in the kingdom in God's own family, a place of love and holiness that you're invited to today that you never need to look and want or desire for anything. But let God be your only heart's desire. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for calling us out of alienation from you, calling us out of pain and suffering, of comparing ourselves to others. May we find ourselves in you. May you speak to our hearts in these moments. And may in this time of communion we experience Christ and and rekindle that relationship with you. We love you so much. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we take time to respond to God's word this morning, I I think we all have room to respond even if it's just, yes, Lord, let's go deeper. I'd invite you to pray in your seat, but I'd invite you to pray at an altar about anything burdening you. Come to the altar to rekindle that relationship, to lay at the feet of Christ anything that you're carrying, any burden you have. We take time for communion to remember Christ, to experience and receive his grace, but this is also an act that we should never tire of because it is an act of love that we are invited to, that Christ loved us so much that he gave his life you to free you from the power of coveting from the power of sin do you desire christ this morning is that your heart's desire is that your burning desire is that the love of your life that is fulfilling you if it is if you've made that decision if you're in that relationship with christ then we invite you for taking communion you don't have to be a member of this church Simply say yes to God. Receive freedom from your sins. God loves you. God knows you, and he made you just as you are. And When you're ready, come and receive his grace and his presence in your life through this time of communion, through this time of prayer and seeking God's face together as a church. On the night our Lord was betrayed, he took bread and after giving thanks he broke it and said this is my body broken for you take eat whenever you do in remembrance of me in the same way he took the cup and said this is the cup of the covenant this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins take drink whenever you do, in remembrance of me. The early church called this love feast. As it is a meal, it is a feast that we share with God and Jesus Christ to celebrate the love that has been poured out for us. Will you respond with a love that demands all who you are? Will you come when you're ready receive the grace and love of God? Let us continue in a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray for these people gathered before me that our burning desire of our lives, everything that we have, would be devoted to loving you and that we would be freed from the temptation to look around us and find despair, to find shame, to to look on others' gifts and who they are and what they have and have a desire for what they have. Would you keep us from that? Oh, that pain that you would save us from, Lord. And instead turn our hearts only to you. Lord, I don't even know what a church that is burning desires only for you looks like. It would change the world. So may we be, Asheville First Church of the Nazarene, your holy people, I have one single burning desire to love God with everything that we have. Let everything fall by the wayside. May we just have a powerful, loving relationship with Jesus Christ that is all-consuming. That the temptations wouldn't even be able to come our way because our eyes are so clearly fixed on Jesus Christ that we are seeking to love you every minute of the day. May it be so. May we never feel shame in who we are. May we never uh, fail to give you thanks and gratitude for what you have given us. May we always trust that you are enough for us, that we have what we need, and that you will provide day in and day out. Lord, may we be as little children following you into your kingdom. I thank you for the the faithfulness of those gathered here. I thank you for their witness to your kingdom and your love, Lord, and I pray that you would continue to increase our witness all around our community and in our families. Would people see the love that we have through Jesus Christ, the freedom in Jesus Christ, and may they want to know more about it. May they feel your love through us and come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, Lord. May they be freed from the power of coveting, from the power of shame. May they come to know their identity through Jesus Christ. Increase our ministries in this. And everything that we do, may this be our sole focus, is spreading the love of Christ in an infectious way. Be with our cookout next week, Lord. May we show the love of Christ and re- build relationships through that. Uh, Be with our ministries, the preschool ministry. Thank you for the sacrifice of time and effort. Many of our church are building that up. Uh, May lives be touched through that. May the children be protected and and grown in the faith of Jesus through that ministry. We need a teacher, Lord. May you bring a a man or a woman to to be a teacher and and to love on these children and assist us in the ministry. Be with the food pantry ministry, Lord. Bless it. Uh, Be with the uh, Narcotic Anonymous meetings that meet here on a weekly basis. Lord, may may they know the love of Jesus through our hospitality. May they be freed from the power of addiction. Lord, for those who are struggling today in our midst, for those that may have family division and pain, may your spirit of reconciliation speak into that situation, those situations. May peace come in our family. Healing come in our families, Lord. May all turn their lives over to you. For those that are dealing with physical burdens for themselves or loved ones, Lord, we ask for your healing touch. We we lift up LaDonna as she uh, faces cancer one more time, Lord. Pray that you'd bring healing in her life and and those that have uh, friends that are battling cancer. For those that are battling uh, chronic pain or frailty, Lord, or infections, pray that your strength would be upon them and your healing touch would strengthen them. Lord, uh, for those that feel shame this morning, that may be struggling with whether they are enough, may they hear your words this morning, that they are loved and created in your image, and may they go from this place encouraged and strengthened by your word and your presence. Lord, we lift up our district and our, our church leaders all around the world, bless them, uh, bless the efforts of your kingdom wherever it may be found and advance it all around the world uh, be with our local and our state and our national leaders uh, may you give them wisdom and grace to carry out their duties and may we treat other nations rightly and promote peace and justice wherever we can lord we love you so much may the, the fire of our devotion to you never dwindle may we fan the flames by your Holy Spirit. And we ask that you would be our only desire. Help us to pray as you taught us, saying together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. 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 Church family, would you stand with me? May you be the people. You may look strange. You may look weird. Because you'll be the free people that only have one desire. May that desire be Jesus Christ and nothing else. May you be the people that the love of God carries from this earth into the kingdom forever and ever.